This week's podcast includes a discussion of two seemingly unrelated topics, but the thread that binds them together is the age-old question of an individual's personal relationship to scripture, which is also an individual's personal relationship to God. The first question has us initially discussing certain aspects of the roles of men and women in the church, but it's actually more about our respect for the specific instructions we find in God's Word and how our relationship to the text determines our relationship with God. The second question comes from a verse in 1 John chapter 3. But first we discuss an observation from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. Okay, so we'll start out about verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Ye see, you call brethren, how there are not many wise men, not many mighty, not many noble call, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it seems that, that, um, that you know, we think of, um, of people in the pulpit as being men only. Right, right. Okay, but here, if God can choose the First Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-five. Okay, we sometimes think of, of, of women as being weaker, whatever. Right. Okay, but here it says God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So in other words, if God wants to choose a woman to be in a pulpit, he's he's got every right and and um, God can do whatever he wants. He wants to do, he, and, and he, right. And if he, and he chooses women to be in the pulpit. Uh, we as men can say nothing about that. That's correct. If God chose women to be in the pulpit, we could say nothing about that. But then the question is, has he chose women to be in the pulpit? Well, I think he... Uh, I have a feeling that he has, because there are women there, and, and uh, you know... There are also people murdering other people. Is that thing God does yeah. all the time? Does it mean that God chose... This is an introduction to where he's going, Yeah. right? right because right. one of the overall themes of First Corinthians is he's correcting things they're doing wrong there. Right. And okay. he's correcting things they're doing wrong because they're thinking carnally. They're yeah. thinking according to the flesh as opposed to according to the spirit. Right. So that's why he does these contrasts here. He's like, really, you're thinking according to the flesh. 
But God's thinking is quite often the opposite of what you think. He chooses the weak things, and the Apostle Paul sees himself as weak. In the next chapter, he says, I decided that I was not going to use any of the human reasoning and tools that I have at my disposal, because I'm a real smart guy, but I came and I decided to only know Christ and him crucified among you. In weakness and great trembling, I preached the gospel to you, and it was effective. So that's the Apostle Paul, this little guy who's not very impressive, deciding, I'm just going to preach Christ to you, and there's going to be strength and power in that. So that's what he's saying. And there are plenty of times where God has put a woman in a leadership role that you see in the Old Testament. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You've got Deborah, you've got Abigail. Mm -hmm. Abigail's a great example. And I agree with you that there's a very strong misogynist streak in the church. Mm -hmm. So I don't want you to think I'm one of them. (laughs) And when I'm talking to the misogynists, I always say, but what about Abigail? Because they condemn women strongly for doing certain things. This is the chapter about Nabal and Abigail, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so Abigail not only goes against her husband... By going and visiting David and preventing him from murdering her whole family. Number one, David congratulates and Abigail corrects David more or less. Because David was going to go kill them all. And Abigail talks him out of it. And he eventually marries her. Right, he eventually marries her. Right, exactly. So there's no condemnation for Abigail in all of scripture. Then when she comes home. So Abigail has this meeting with David, and David decides not to go kill them all. Then she comes home, and she doesn't immediately, like the dutiful wife, go up to her husband and tell him what she's been up to, because he knows that he's in his drunken revelry. So she waits till the next day. So she's still being disobedient to her husband. Well, she wasn't actually disobedient to her husband. She just, she just. Um, she wasn't being respectful. What she should have done was let her husband know what she was up to, because but he was she drunk. knew. Yeah, he was drunk. Exactly. She was being smart. She was yeah. being smart for the whole thing. Right. And then finally, the next day, when she tells him what happens to Nabal, he, he eventually he dies. He, he drops dead. So God pronounces his judgment on Nabal. So what do we see about that? We see that you have to be very, very careful how we apply the roles of men and women in the church. The, the word goes out of its way during the book of Acts to talk about these prominent women that did all these good things for the church. Like Lydia. That's all true. Right, Lydia. exactly. So they're all good people. And you're going to get to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where the Apostle Paul talks about order in the church. Yeah. And he says, it's wrong for a woman to speak in the church. Now... What the misogynists do with that, <laughs> or what some Christians do with that, is they try to say it's not right for a sound to come out of a woman's mouth when you're gathered together to worship. That's not what it means. But what it means is he's talking about order in the church. Yeah, well, and earlier in that chapter, he's talking about men. Like if one's prophesying and then another one wants to get up and speak, well, the one that's standing should let the other guy speak because we want things to be done decently and in order. And he uses the same term that he, he applies to women. He should be silent in the church. I'm giving you a thumbnail of this, and then we can get you guys' opinions about this. And then he says for women. So it's a shame for women to speak in the church. So he's not talking about just them talking 
or else they wouldn't be able to sing, right? Sound would be coming out of their mouths to sing, and they would be admonishing each other. You know, you're speaking and admonishing to other with psalms and in spiritual songs, Colossians 3.16, right? The way the Apostle Paul applied it was, a woman is not going to take the authority in the church, is not going to stand in front and take the leadership role away from the men and be the speaker. That's why there's a general practice that we don't have women preachers. And there's also the unity question. So I'm not saying that women got nothing useful to say because we see with Abigail and David. Anyway, I've talked enough about that. Okay. Uh, because I'm thinking in terms of saying I'm Donna Baptiste Ministries. Um, she comes on Monday nights at 9 o'clock on the radio. Right. And apparently she has a, a ministry and... Um, and this past Sunday, I was home because I was not feeling well. Right. And they had her on, on Sunday, and mm-hmm. they had her give, a, you know, like it was the Church of the Week, and she was the, the person um, to do that. And, right. And, I mean, that was really some message that, that she gave. She gave a great message? Well, yeah, you know, I thought, yeah, I thought it was, ter- I thought it was terrific. Uh, and uh, I can see that, you know, and, and, she, you know, and she was interviewed before that, and she um, sort of indicated that, you know, she was called by God to have this ministry. Right. It's not my job to be a debunker or argue with her. Now, here's the thing. Let's say you're listening to a woman preaching on the radio. She's not exercising authority over you, right? No, no. Because no. you can just shut it off. Right, right. So, in that situation, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a dodgy question to a lot of people because the other thing that we're supposed to be trying to do and me and Jeremy and Tonya have been working on this is we have to like you read in 1 Corinthians 1 right we have to work on being united in the same mind and judgment that's also for the whole church so you have lots and lots of church members that think that women shouldn't be preachers. Mm -hmm. So we can't just say, well, we think it's okay, so in our church we're going to have it. We have to try to reason with those people who don't think so. And that's really hard. Most of the time, people avoid having those conversations. If you're hanging out with a group that thinks that women can't be preachers, and you're having a class or something, and you say, I have a question. Can't women be... You're not going to raise your hand and ask that question, and then people are going to think you're a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard. But it's something that we have to think about doing. We have to think about what are we doing to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? What are we doing to increase unity instead of decrease it? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But I, I guess my, my point is that uh, God wants, wants her to have whatever position he wants her to have. But he has every right to, to, to do that. Oh, yeah, God and can do what nobody, he wants. And, 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 if, and if it's... Um, clear that, that God has chosen this woman to, to have Yeah, but this how position. do you know that God has chosen? That's, see, see, that's the question. How do you know that God has chosen? Well, right? Because there are, for instance, there are obviously men leaders that God probably, maybe probably shouldn't be leading. Not yeah. 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 Even though they yeah. might yeah. think that they, they yeah. have, you know? Yeah. But at any rate, um, she, she was interviewed, and I mean, it was, it was a great um, interview that that she had, and I don't know. I, and from all that I heard, I would I would think that you know um, I was sort of convinced that God had chosen her, right? But I mean, it, from my from the from the um, yeah from everything that I heard, 
I mean, I would, right. I would think so. Because you found nothing wrong with her preaching, and you thought it was really good. Yeah. But that's not the standard that we should judge. Because well, there are sure. lots of people that I've heard, and I said, wow, this guy's really, really good. And then afterwards I realized, oh, there's something wrong with what this guy's preaching. So you have to be able to prove it from Scripture. Well, I'm just um, so, going from this um, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound yeah. things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. My thoughts are that we have, you know, we have certain ways of thinking about things according to scripture. Right. Uh, but here, um, God is saying, well, you know, in effect, I, I see God here saying, okay, there, there are things that, that, that are considered right and everything, but um, I have, you know, I, I've chosen certain things and it's not, and what I've chosen is not necessarily in accordance with everything that that is well with the mind of the flesh everything that you know that's true in the flesh because the contrast he's making here is the God and his spiritual mind uh -huh. right. versus the mind of the flesh because that's what he's trying to get across to the church in Corinth yeah. stop thinking like carnal individuals and try to understand what the mind of Christ is yeah so that's the contrast. And Christ was a big one to say, the first will be last, the last will be first. I know what you're thinking. Think again is the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. And they thought, the Jews at the time when saying that, thought that the Pharisees were the most holy people. They were the most honored religious people. And they were the people that Jesus criticized the most severely. So I completely get that. I completely agree with your point that a lot of times what you think according to the flesh, especially if you're thinking according to the flesh, what God thinks is exactly the opposite. It's exactly true. But you can't just take that verse and say, therefore women should be preachers. You have to look no, at I'm, the I'm totality that, of I'm saying that, that, that God wants to choose women to be preachers. He, he, he can do that. Yeah, he that's, can do whatever he wants. That, that's, that's yeah, my, he can do whatever he wants. Myself, but the question the, is the, how... The church that I attend, right? the, um, the, um, the pastor is a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and then nobody has, a, nobody has a problem with it. Right. What I'd like to see is a debate between someone who says, okay, I'm going to prove through the scripture that women can be preachers. And there are arguments you could bring from scripture. Mm -hmm. And there are also arguments that you could bring that women shouldn't be preachers. Yeah. They have plenty of jobs to do. But here's the other thing about that. And I'm going to say something that goes against everything that I was saying before, which is this. People look at the preacher as the guy in charge of the church. Mm -hmm. He's not really the guy in charge of the church. The Christ preacher is, is the evangelist. Well, Christ is in charge of the church, and the evangelist is not even the top dog among members of the church. It's the elders. You have a group of elders. They're in charge. Mm -hmm. The preacher has no authority at all. So just by saying a woman isn't a preacher or a woman is an evangelist is not a problem. The problem is putting a woman in front of a large group of people as far as church order is concerned. Like in any other group, it's fine. If you're talking about a club or if you're talking about a meetup and 
we have women in a meetup. Well, we're all equals, absolutely. So if a woman wants to say to me, hey, I think you should shut up for a minute and I'll talk, I should give her the floor. Because outside of the church, you don't have to enforce this hierarchy. But in the church, you do. The question is, what's the proper way to enforce it? That's the question. So I guess my, your point is my well point taken. Is that it, it doesn't that we have to look to God to see what is what has God done here in this situation. I mean, that's what I I'm saying. It, while it's true that the normally um, women should have a certain position and men have a certain higher position, that there might be cases where God has said, "No, that's we're not going to do that way. We're going to do it my way." Right. He talks about this further later in 1 Corinthians. There are two other places where he talks about this issue of hierarchy and headship. And one is when he talks about, okay, so a woman who's prophesying, she needs to have a sign of authority on her head. Well, what does that mean? Why does he say that? But that is a really good point, and I do agree with the sentiment of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that sometimes what we think... According to you know, even what the Bible says um, may or may not apply if God overrules it. But here's a question. Let me answer this question then. In this day and age, how is God going to overrule what he says in the Bible? Or is he going to overrule? Well, in certain cases, he, he, he just might. How is he going to do that? However he wants to. How are we going to say, well, this is obviously God overruling what he said in the Bible. Yeah. When are we going to ever be able to say that? That's my question. Mm-hmm. See, the woman... Well, see, the thing about it is, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm just saying that... Um, <laughs> You'll know it when you see it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, but... You know, that, 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 uh, you know, I mean, there, there are... In fact, um, there, there are cases where, where women are sort of in charge. In fact... Uh, in, in our denomination, uh, a woman is the top person of the denomination. Well, so now the question is, how do you know if that's right or that's wrong? Now, if someone says they feel like they have a calling, then that's a very heartfelt thing, and you have to respect that that's something that they've given a lot of careful thought to. Like this woman you said that was on the radio, she said yeah, she felt like she had a calling, and you really felt that her preaching was really good. Those are two facts that you have to consider, and you have to respect those facts. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of people who seem to have a calling, and what they have a calling to do is not necessarily what God's wishes are. Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to respect that that's what that person has chosen for themselves. Like you have to respect everyone else's well-thought-out choices. But... But that does not necessarily mean that God's going to endorse that choice. And the other thing about that is you have to be really, really careful. God says, and it's James chapter 3, verse 1, where teachers are going to be judged more severely. So not many of us should... If some people say, oh, I'm not sure if this teacher is doing the right thing, then the teacher should be open to discuss it and we should all be open to discuss it too because if we figure out that there's some problem with what's going on you want that person to know about it before the judgment so if God indeed doesn't want this person up there preaching then it's going to be hard for someone who says oh I've got a calling to be a preacher and they're up there preaching for you to say I need you to think about this again and maybe you shouldn't be doing it it'll be really really hard for them to doing it but you know what's going to be harder 
if God judges them for it on Judgment Day. That should be our attitude about everything. Someone might say to me, hey, you got to stop doing this thing that you've got a calling to do. <laughs> well, maybe so, in which case I have to seriously consider doing that. So. That's a good observation of that, and, and that's a good thought. And really, we should look for all sorts of things, not necessarily applying it to how you applied it to women being preachers, but there are all sorts of practices in the church we can apply that to. Uh, oh, well, the church has been doing this for a, a thousand years. Maybe they shouldn't be doing that. So we should have an open mind like that about everything that the church does. And I think it's a good idea to review these various questions from time to time and not shy away from discussions where we know we don't have the same position. Yeah. Otherwise, how are we going to have unity if we don't? If we never talk about the things that maybe we don't agree about, how are we ever going to have unity? How are we going to be united in the same mind and judgment? If when we realize we don't agree about something, we say, oh, I'm going to stay away from talking about that. <laughs> so, which a lot of people do. So we have to be peaceable about it also. All right. Dwight's in the house. Anybody got something they want to talk about? Well, I was going to ask if there was any... Any perspective that you, anybody could give on a verse that I ran across in my daily reading. Oh, go ahead. Whip it uh, out. Actually, have it with me. I thought I memorized it. Ah. Um, First John. First but John. If our heart condemns us, then uh, God is greater than our heart. That's right. Yeah, that's a good one. Is that in chapter two? I think it is. I think it's two. want to say because that's one of those statements that you got to be really careful about because it's part of a whole big thing yes it is right. I don't know we're trying to figure that out now see who does the googling quicker you got the verse uh, what was it what was it what was the quote if our hearts come God is greater than our hearts first John 320 oh it's 320 okay all right, I was close. I was only one chapter off. You're right, First John 3.20. So what's your thinking, though? What's your question before I start blathering on about it? Well, what condemnation is it talking about? Is it is it accusing us as Christians of the way we condemn our failure to live as we should when we sin, which we always do? Or is it something else? What kind of condemnation is it talking about? Okay, that's a good question. So you guys got any thoughts? Or is, or is this a situational thing? Is it every time we just having to do with them, we're trying to make a decision and trying to act according with the instructions? Right. And we know that we have not, don't understand the instructions or we know that we've done something not consistent with the instructions and our heart condemns us. Right. Well, that's one way to look at it. I was reading Romans 14 earlier today, and that's like that idea in Romans 14, that the person who has doubt is condemned if he does. And the example that Paul uses is meat being sacrificed to idols. Let's say I'm a new Christian, and I go to dinner at your house, you're Paul. You've been a Christian for years. You know what's going on. 
and there's meat being served at the table that had been bought at the market after having been sacrificed to an idol. And I go, I can't eat that. It was sacrificed to an idol. And Paul says, no, 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 it's okay, you can. And he explains it. Now, so I go, okay, I guess so. I mean, you're Paul, you know what you're talking about. Uh, I guess I'll eat it, but I'm not completely convinced. Uh, See, Paul's saying, you're sinning if you push somebody into that. But I'm sinning if I'm not sure it's right. I go, I guess, oh, if it's okay with Paul, it's okay. Yeah, I still consent to it. And then afterwards, I'm walking away and I'm saying, I still don't feel good about that. A contemporary example that I've given before is the Roman Catholic Church used to teach that you couldn't eat meat on Friday. Right? You had to eat fish. And even after they overturned that rule, when I was taking care of my mom, it was still fish. On Friday, she was still, we gotta have fish. It's Friday. So if I'm taking to her doctor or something like that, and I take her to Burger King or something, and I say, you can have a burger. And she's like, no, it doesn't seem right. Like, I shouldn't be saying, no, no, you can have a burger. It's really nothing. No, I haven't tried to explain to her, no. I mean, she can have a fish magic. She can have whatever fish sandwiches on the menu. But don't try to convince her, even though I know there's nothing wrong with having fish on Friday. I can eat my burger, and she can think what she thinks. So here's the thing. She shouldn't condemn me because I'm eating a burger. Ah, it works both It works both well, exactly the Apostle Paul says when there's a funny verse where he says, you know, blessed is the person who does not condemn himself for what he believes. That was the so, sense in which I originally took it. Yeah. But let's start from... Yeah, let's suppose... Um, Go ahead. Suppose... Um, um, I mean, also it says that he said that I will, I will not eat meat or, or whatever that offends my, my brother. So therefore, if it causes my brother so, to sin. So, so therefore, uh, it might have been better if you had had the fish also. Sure, I agree. That's a judgment call. That's exactly true. But you doesn't know that I knew my mother, and she wouldn't say that. So it was okay. But yeah, but if I was around somebody who was saying it would be a problem for them, to see me eating the meat, then yeah, I don't want to cause my brother to sin. Because that's what he says. He says, I'll never eat meat again if it causes my brother to sin. I should not let the exercise of my freedom. And he also said that in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, so let's decide never to put a stumbling block in front of a brother. You wouldn't find Paul trying to convince somebody at the dinner table. He'll save that for when he's preaching a sermon. Yeah, the larger context that I put that in is that even our obedience to the law has to be in the context of love for others. And that's exactly what he's talking about here in 1 John 3. And But we're always subject to the temptation, especially socially, um, to think that the law has to come first. But actually, the, our consideration for others should come first. Well, it's one of those things where you have to do both. Right. You have to do both. Well, you have to consider God's law. God's law is to love one another. There's no law that says, I have to eat meat. So if it's a problem for you that I'm eating meat, then I'm not going to eat meat. I will be violating God's law if I say, well, you know, there's no law against me eating meat, so I, I can do it, and you're just going to have to lump it. <laughs> That's a violation of God's other laws to love one another. If, if, we're, if, we're trying, if we're trying to, if we're thinking that, then we're actually doing two things wrong. We're thinking of the law 
incorrectly, and we're thinking of well, yeah, love exactly. for others incorrectly. You're actually violating the law. And this is the hard thing about, this was the very, very hard thing about being a Jew, right? Because they had 600 and something laws to deal with. We have less, but we still have to deal with all the instructions that we're given, which there aren't that many, right? Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But we still have to consider everything that he's giving to us when we make a judgment about how we're going to apply a certain instruction. If someone wants to be dogmatic about it and push his will on other people, then he's violating an instruction. Even if he's right. Even if he's right, he's violating an instruction. But if we read first, first John 3, starting at verse 11. In fact, Jeremy, why don't you read it? I like your verse reading voice better than mine. Start at verse 11, so true. way. First John through um, the verse that he mentioned. Okay. 11 through 28. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's right Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and we assure our heart is well. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows that. Read 21 to Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from because we keep his commandments and do what please. That's good. Okay. It's in the context of loving one another. I've always assumed that, or understood that, that the Holy Spirit will make us aware, or try to make us aware, of when we're making that mistake, when we're not acting in love. The main way the Holy Spirit operates for us is through the Word of God. If I'm well-versed in the scripture and I see someone doing something that maybe they ought to have a conscience about, it seems like maybe they don't, then yeah, I could like be their conscience by saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing that because look at what the word says. That's a good point. But we're certain about what God is telling us because it's in his word, in the Bible. Because what did John say about Jesus? Jesus is the Word. He does that whole thing in the beginning of his gospel, right? And why is he doing that? Because Jesus is the Word. Here's the Word. So the major operation of the Holy Spirit is through his Word. Now, it doesn't mean that we might get some leading or some inkling from the Holy Spirit, but it's always going to be in perfectly agreement with his Word. If I think the Holy Spirit is telling me to smack you in the head, well, I'm wrong because I can't find any scripture. Now, here's the other thing about that, because ideas will pop into our heads 
some of them might be inspired, some of them might not be, or someone may be inspired by the other guy. How are we going to know? How are we going to know where our inspiration is coming from? If we don't know enough the scripture to correctly exactly. examine them. So some might say, well, I felt inspired to smack this guy in the head. But there are people who feel inspired because sometimes when you hear somebody preaching something that's opposed to what you're saying, you might feel a little agitated. When I was, you know, a younger Christian, I would feel agitated. If I feel agitated, that's my own weakness. That's not the Holy Spirit stirring in me to shoot that person or strap a bomb to my body or anything like that. And as you get older and more mature, you get less and less agitated and you get more peaceful. The peace of Christ will rule your hearts. Jesus was able to be peaceful even as he was being led off to be murdered. He kept quiet as a lamb before his shearers of silence, so he did not speak. So he was able to be peaceful even though he knew that he was going to have heinous things being done to him. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? I think that's an important point that he makes is that God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Because the heart can be wrong. So it's not an inerrant thing if your conscience is bothering you or not bothering you about something. What did the Apostle Paul say? My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. The Apostle Paul, for example, testifies to this. When he was persecuting the church, he thought he was doing the right thing. His conscience, his heart was telling him to do this. And it wasn't out of total ignorance because he was a well-schooled person. So he knew scripture and he came to the wrong conclusion and he's out persecuting the church. His heart doesn't doubt him. His conscience is not bothering him. Yet he's doing exactly the wrong thing. So when they stoned Stephen, he was... He was approving of that. He was in charge of that episode. But then once Jesus... Yes, subtly reacquainted him with the truth. Gave him a little bit of an attitude adjustment. Well, then he saw that what he was doing was wrong. And he was able to say, okay, now I understand. I was totally wrong before. But I also can sit here now and I can remember what I was thinking back when I was doing these things and I did them in good conscience. I wasn't trying to be evil, even though I was. It's an important point. So that, that's good. I never heard it explained that way before. Really? No. Okay. Yeah, so I don't think I have. So this idea about if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And I think that part does go to the Romans 14 issue. You have to be firmly convinced of what you're doing. But you have to be firmly convinced according to the word. Like right? It says in verse 22, because we keep his commandments. Exactly. And that's why I had you read that far. So that's the context of it. So someone might pull the verse out about just if our heart doesn't condemn us. Yeah, I'd be really careful with that because the person who does the heinous thing Right before he's doing it, he's like thinking, hey, that's the thing to do. As he's preparing to do the heinous thing, he's thinking that's the thing to do. His heart's not condemning him, but yet he's doing a terrible thing. Thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? So, so if you gave a real quick summary of what, like, you know, two-sentence or one-sentence summary of what that means, what the verse means in your mind? 
Which verse? 20. Verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Verse 20 by itself is hard to take it by itself. I think I would have a hard time taking that verse. I remember a paraphrase. Of verse 20? Let me hear you paraphrase. God understands both our our sin and our righteousness better than we do. I think if someone said to me, what does verse 20 mean? I would probably at least read 19 to 22. Because I think if you read 19 through 22, I think we get the full thought. Yes. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Well, the complementary condition is that, that God understands our... Um, God knows uh, whether... Truly knows whether we have kept his commands in the spirit of love. Whether we have kept his commands better than we do. Sure, absolutely. Our conscience and our discernment about the things that we do, our behavior, should become more well-trained as we become more acquainted with Scripture and actually doing it, actually trying to apply this stuff to life. Because you may do something that the Scripture is telling you to do and not necessarily have the effect that you expected. In which case, you think about it. Well, why didn't I get the effect that I expected? And now you're learning that. Now you're taking the instruction that you have here and applying it to real life and seeing that. Because he also says there, don't be surprised if the world hates you. That's right. So you're thinking about loving everybody and loving one another. But then he says in verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers. He doesn't say if. Notice, he says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So all the people who are like Cain, are going to hate you. Guaranteed. It's not like Abel did anything wrong to Cain. It's not like Abel did anything wrong at all. For that verse 20? Yeah, what do you think about verse 20? I kind of read it, when I just read it, it seems to say, you know, if, if your heart is condemning you, think how much more, you know, God's going to condemn you because he sees everything, you know, not just what what you think is wrong, but what actually is wrong and what you look over. That's kind of what I... I have a hard time taking it by itself because by itself we can think of all sorts of meanings. But one of the obvious meanings that might be wrong is, well, so if, I, if my heart doesn't condemn me, I'm okay. Somebody might use that verse all by itself to make that point. So you have to expand it out at least, get to the end of verse 22. See, verse 22 is more interesting to me. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. It does not necessarily mean that if I do what pleases him, he's going to give me whatever I arbitrarily ask for. But if we're doing what pleases him, then we're doing what he wants us to do. And so our prayer is going to be consistent with what he wants, so he's going to give us what we want. It was like that in Acts when the church was praying to be given strength to preach the gospel as they should. Well, it's like they were doing that because they were obeying his instructions. 
they were being persecuted by the Jews, God wants them to preach the gospel. So if your prayer is, give me strength so that I can preach the gospel, then you're going to have what you ask for because it's exactly what God wants you to be doing. And that works for the whole rest of the thing too because if you're loving one another, then that's going to affect how your conscience works and that's also going to affect getting what you ask for. So there's a whole cascade of thought here that you kind of have to work through, not pick one step out. But that's a good observation. I like that. God has chosen to reveal himself through his word. 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 tell us, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The Apostle John also starts off his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we don't know the word, we don't know God. If we don't respect his word, we don't respect God. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or even if you have any helpful suggestions, please feel free to email me at james at org. That's all for now. Goodbye, and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold.